Blog Talk Radio. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie. Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie. everybody it's your boy here Keith Big Cinnamon Pfeiffer back at it again here with episode three of Big Cinnamon's Hump Day Beer Discussion first of all I want to congratulate you to get into Wednesday here Hump Day 60% of your week is already done and, and I appreciate you taking some time to spend it with me here uh, tonight I, uh, I also want to I want to reach out there and hope that none of you dumbasses blinded yourself on Monday trying to look up at the clips like our president did. Uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. At the end of the day, our sun was just shaped in a different way than you normally see it. Um, big astronomy fan here on my side, but I never really got the hype. But if you're into that sort of thing and want to see the, you know, the eclipse or some may call it the apocalypse, I hope you guys were smart and didn't blind yourself like a dumbass. Uh, with that being said, got a very exciting show for you here for episode three. Uh, we're talking a little bit of a recap on the first two weeks, um, talking a little bit about social media and how that had changed in the landscape of, of sports media. Uh, last week talked a little bit about, you know, how we're consuming the sport, a little bit more about TV contracts and that how, how that all plays together. So, in the third episode here, uh, be kind of just doing a short review of the first two episodes and then kind of get into the current day culture of sports media and kind of take a look at how we got here, uh, some things that play into the sports media culture and kind of the sports media decisions uh, of the present day. Uh, but before we get into that, I, I, of course, as always, want to thank my sponsor, uh, Papa Bear's Kinda Healthy Nut Butters here. The website is ilovepapabear.com. All right. Uh, go on the website. You know, it is free-range, cage-free, wild-caught nut butter. It is. Guys, do yourself a favor. Go onto the website not right now and get yourself some Kinda Healthy Nut Butter. They have three delicious flavors. They have the original churro butter, nut butter. It's to die for. Uh, they also, my personal favorite is the coconut cashew butter. And I think they just introduced their, their third new butter, and that is their nanner butter, uh, of course, that has some banana flavors in that. So do yourself a favor. I love papabear.com and the promo code. Put in I love Papa Bear to get 10% off all orders. Also, Instagram, Twitter, eat Papa Bears. All right, follow them. It's absolute riot. Uh, I believe Mike, one of the co-founders and owner of the company, uh, attempted to eat a 12-egg omelet and put that all on all over social media for us to consume. He failed miserably, but it was a joy to watch. And uh, honestly, you're not gonna you're not gonna bitch at me at all for buying yourself some kind of healthy nut butter or following them on Twitter and Instagram. So, as always, thanks again. I love Papa Bears, and we'll get into the show, as always, or not as always, but the beer of choice for this evening is I went back to the Pennsylvania roots and got myself some Trogues Perpetual IPA. Um, had a few of these while I was grilling this afternoon, making some lamb chop, lamb lollipops here on the grill. 
Um, yeah, it's a little bit stronger than what I remember. About uh, it's a 85 IBU, about seven and a half percent alcohol. So uh, as I was responsible last week in picking a session IPA, I almost I did a 180 and went to the Trogues, but got to keep my PA roots to a hole here. So that's the beer of choice for for the evening. So I hope you have a nice cold beverage as well. And we're going to get into this thing. So before, I guess before we kind of get into the the meat and bones of, of the program, I, I think it's kind of it's going to be important to have some contacts or kind of review the first two episodes and, and kind of recap of why that is important uh, to current day sports media. So, you know, if we reflect on episode one, we talked a lot about social media and, and accessibility of players and how there's new content pulling out there as well. So, you know, one thing is with, with social media, not just on a personal aspect, but even with these athletes or very public figures, it's easier to get a message out. Um, more so than ever, we are seeing athletes um, involve us in how they're, they're thinking politically, uh, how, how, how their personal life is, you know, and, and we're seeing how they're used in social media as a whole to expand the brand and, and expand personal awareness for them and whatnot. It has become a strategy of a lot of these individuals when it comes to marketing and advertising dollars, how to spread awareness with them, how do you become more of a national brand? A lot of these athletes are using social media to kind of, to go through that. So, you know, one thing is that, with this social media and with the social brand awareness, you know, more so now than it was before is that media outlets have, have things to pull from, from personal lives. So, you know, you know, regardless of um, Chandler Parsons with the emoji wars uh, back in the day or everything like this, people are, now athletes are putting things on a public sites like Twitter and Facebook and whatever, and it's getting thousands of retweets and it's getting thousands of likes. And before you know it, this becomes a news story because of course, um, sports media will gravitate towards the popular issues. The more retweets and likes and the more uh, transcendent or, or polarized a tweet or uh, a top, topic of discussion with these professional athletes can can comment on the more play they will get so you know the accessibility of these athletes the social media is giving a whole new venue for the for sports media outlets to kind of to I guess scope and scout and it's just additional additional new source for these networks um, and also, in a way, it, it, it allows feedback to the networks of what is popular or worth, what is worth running on their shows. Because, you know, you know, you'll probably heavily favor a tweet that got 100,000 retweets rather than a tweet that got 1,000 retweets. So it uh, almost shapes the narrative for some of these sports uh, media networks. It's just because. Uh, these athletes are accessible and they're commenting on shit and, you know, it, it's popular and the sports media wants to grab that. So you bring to their, your station or their network so they can kind of, the talking heads can kind of go at that. So, you know, the accessibility, social media in sports is one way that, that sports media has been changing over the years. Um, on the same token, now, with technology and the things the way are, is that, you know, there are a lot of more niche markets out there. So ESPN and, and some of these major networks were the only sites or only places you could go for analysis. But over time, there are, there are websites across, across the United States that have their own niche market that 
only focus on the flyers or only focus on the sixers, you know, and, and across all markets now, there are your own niche websites that will focus primarily on just one team in that market. So what we saw with ESPN and their cuts is a lot of the talent that they did cut was from these niche markets, you know, the beat writers, the, the NHL analysis guys, you know, the, the beat writers for these professional sports teams. At the end of the day, ESPN had two directions to go. They, they could go more of that to focus on the teams and analysis of teams, or they could have focused on the, the talking heads and kind of going more of a social awareness. They had these two branches. And at the end of the day, ESPN decision was always going to be based on money, and what they did is, is they, caught, they cut that whole niche market group from the whole portfolio. And one of the main reasons why is that nobody anymore is going to ESPN to get a full analysis on their, their sports team that they really care about, right? If I'm, an, I'm a 4 for 4 Philly guy. Unfortunately, it's a curse, but I'm going to take it to the grave. But when it comes to Eagles and Sixers and Flyers and Phillies analysis, ESPN is not the place I'm going. And nor is pretty much the... the the 35 and under demographic there, there are different avenues across the board and, and that websites and, and podcasts have made it more accessible to actually get really good material and content that is directly relevant for you rather than wasting the 12 or 15 minutes of bullshit you have to do so they can talk about your team for two minutes. Now people want to spend an hour listening to their team, and after that, they don't really care about any others. So the niche market at ESPN and pretty much across the, across all major sports networks have, have died. And, and for that reason, it was why ESPN decided to cut majority of those beat writers from the portfolio at ESPN. You know, so at the end of the day, what we're seeing is, what we're seeing is that we as consumers, we as people have more options to go and find the content that is most relevant to us. And at the end of the day, these major networks are struggling to kind of identify what they have to do to capture your audience and capture your attention to their television screen, right? Because at the end of the day, we need to remember, in order for these networks to make money, they need us to watch. And all the decisions that they make are to our financial risk and reward type of decisions. So they are making decisions, what to produce, what to put on air to capture our audience. Because the more they capture our attention, the more money they get through advertisers and everything under that umbrella when it comes to a captive audience. So it's important, you know, last week we talked about the major financial stakes just in having NFL rights. You know, we did not mention other, other, other sports league rights. We did not talk about on-air talent. We did not talk about a lot of uh, the other things that go into sports media. But we do need to understand that there is a very high financial risk that these networks are making to have the talent for the networks. And the only way they can recruit that money is, if we watch or if we pay attention or we listen to what they have to say. One of the oldest tricks in the books with sports media is having transcendent fingers or figures, not fingers. I don't know what transcendent fingers would look like. Honestly, that's probably getting a very X-rated type of version of that. So I'm going to just kind of backtrack from there and kind of rewind from there. But one of the only the oldest tricks in the book is that we watch as a culture. We watch if we love something or hate something, but we rarely watch if we're indifferent to something, right? So, for instance, in the NFL, one of the reasons why it's a very highly populated or popular uh, sport and why we watch a lot is because like I mentioned in episode two, we have a lot of national teams, national figures. We have the 49ers, and we have the Cowboys, and we have the Packers, and we have the Steelers. 
as a casual, like as an NFL fan, I'm an Eagles fan, but you know, when some of those teams are online or on TV, I watch simply to root against them. Right. Or they have a huge following and people watch to root for them. So they're, you know, the, the job of sports media and, and the job of all media together is to force you one way or the other. It doesn't matter which way it, the media forces you. It could be on the positive or negative side. But the main objective for media is to force you one way or the other way because that the more extreme you get, the more willing you are to watch. So for, for that's why the Skip Bayless's and the Stephen A. Smith's still have jobs. That's why Fox Network gave Skip Bayless $5 million because majority of the people I know and I think majority of the country hates what Skip Bayless says, but you know, until he, until he really moved to Fox, but when he was on ESPN, people really tuned into what he was saying and, and it was maybe for no no more than they just they just hated him and want to see what ridiculous shit he had to say next. But in that token, ESPN really didn't give a shit how credible or how 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 credible or, or good Skip Bayless was or how, how accurate his takes was. They just wanted to get a reaction out of you because a reaction sells shit. Reaction reactions will get you to consume the product. Reactions will will find a part of you that, that wants to kind of know more, and it, 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 it takes you down the rabbit hole. So whenever we were watching uh, anything on these sports media sites, you know, ESPN or the worldwide leader of sport is the biggest one just because they have a monopoly. But, I mean, Fox is trying to get on board, and you see MB, you know, NBC Sports. For instance, Dan Patrick has a great show, Majority of people watch Dan Patrick because he's an awesome guy and you like his content. Like they, they, they just know they have good stuff and they don't need to be all hot takey because just Dan Patrick can carry that show and you know the things that he's saying is good shit. So you want to kind of consume the more product. I mean, honestly, not to go on a whole side road, but NBC Sports, especially in the morning, for my money's worth, has probably some of the best content. They have Pro Football Talk, which uh, I talked about with Kyle shortly um, for the Nor'easter sportscast here. Again, shameless plug-in number one of the day. I'll probably have like five or six by the end of the day, but shameless plug-in number one. If you missed it, Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, 8 to 10 a.m. for the rest of the season, Nor'easter sportscast radio. It's me and the coach, Kyle Anderson. We'll be doing a lot. Of, uh, it's kind of a mix of around the horn and late the last week tonight with John Oliver. So we'll be recapping the, the main important issues that have significant impacts uh, for, for more than weeks to come, as well as kind of having um, just a little back and forth and kind of keeping score about very popular uh, football and, and weekly topics for the week to come. So we'll be talking about Sports lines. We'll be talking about daily fantasy footballs. We'll be talking matchups in general. Overall, it's it's a great show. It's going to be a great product. Um, eight to ten. You know, I, I plan on starting my pregame drinking at eight o'clock anyway on Sunday morning. So you might as well join with us and join the festivities. But um, for those that you don't know, eight to ten Sunday mornings, Northeaster Sportscast. You just kicked off season two. But as I digress. Get back into the thing about sports media. You know, it, it's important for for especially now, especially now, for sports media outlets to have almost a hate love relationship with their audience. You know, you can hate and love their opinion. You can hate or love a team and a player. You can hate or love a topic. You know, at the end of the day, sports media needs polarizing figures because polarizing figure you know, forces you to one extreme. And, and like I said before, you're not going to view content or watch content if you're just kind of nonchalant in the middle. So, so that's the overarching theme. So then when you're watching like large, large national stations, you will see big market teams really get more play than little market teams. 
unless a little market team like Oklahoma City has a transcendent finger as in Russell Westbrook, right? You know, the more popular things is, the more it will get played on media because the main goal is to capture your audience, right? To capture, you know, if you see that most people want to want to listen to the Cowboys and talk Cowboys, then you're going to play majority Cowboys just because you know you're going to get most of your viewership from that angle. You know, Colin Coward is another one of this. He, he's actually went on to his radio show and he says, you know, during September on, he's, call, he's talking college football, pro football, and basketball. And the reason why he does that is because that's what people want to listen to, that's what people tune into. You know, it's just, you know, there's not a lot of, even though you're in playoff baseball or, or the start of the NHL, they don't get the viewership. You don't capture that audience as much as you do as football and basketball. And in Cower Shore, he goes a lot into betting lines and things of that nature because, of course, that's, that's what your demographic, that's what the people want to hear and listen to. They want your opinions on these lines. They want opinions that have direct impact on them. So the whole, the whole sports media landscape is a financial decision to play or not play what they think their audience will most want to watch. There's no point. I mean, you know, ESPN has been getting a lot of shit for not playing NHL highlights. And, you know, people are like the whole hockey Twitter and the whole hockey culture is like, you know, where the hell are these highlights? Why aren't you playing this highlight and that highlight? But at the end of the day, they're not playing the highlights just because nobody really gives a shit about hockey. Like I love hockey. Like in hockey, I, I think I said this on my first podcast, but hockey is one of the best sports to watch live. But hockey viewership and the hockey audience isn't going on ESPN for the highlights anymore. They're not capturing the audience. Therefore, ESPN and, and the sports media networks aren't really going to play it. There might be more of incentive for NBC Sports to have hockey highlights because they have a national agreement with the, the National Hockey League. But besides that, you know, you're not – hockey is struggling because it's not on a major network or the, the biggest networks, which are Fox and, and ESPN, and therefore it's not getting the media recognition that it does. So, you know, you want to know the truth, you always trickle back to the money. You know, it, it, it's in every aspect of life. You know, um, one of my favorite lines in The Wire is, like, if you want if you want a drug case, then you, you, you trace the drugs. But if you want to know what the truth is or if you don't know what the hell is going on, you follow the money. And a lot of the times, you don't know where the hell that's going to lead you. And I know I'm paraphrasing there, but it's honestly one of the coolest, coolest lines in any any uh, any network TV or any type of TV show. So, by the way, my uh, shameless plug in there for The Wire, I have been watching it. I'm trying to get my dad on it. Uh, he just wants to see shit blow up. So, like, trying to convince him that it's a good story and that he needs to actually go into that is a little bit harder of a sell. But, anyway, if you haven't watched The Wire, top three shows of all time, go watch it. But, getting back to me and and speaking of the wire, it is a drama, right? And drama, drama, drama is what these media stations die for, right? It, they love drama. They love trans. They love epic stories. They 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 love the shit. They die for the shit. I mean, during during the presidential campaigns, right? They said that Trump got two billion. I said billion with a B. All right, two billion dollars. They got two billion. Trump got two billion dollars of free advertisement through CNN. Why? Because CNN ratings were off the fucking chart covering Trump. It's the most lucrative. CBS executive came out and said covering Trump is the most lucrative their business has ever been. All right. Again, transcendent finger. You you watch you watch CNN because you hate Trump or you love Trump. You're still watching and consuming the truck product. He was a transcendent. He was a polarizing 
figure in that whole that whole campaign. And for that, news stations played him. He got a lot of free publicity. But at the end of the day, we they were capturing a huge audience. So they just kept playing this shit. And sports media is no different from that, right? You know, sports sports media will will capture and grab on to the articles and the that they feel is relevant or the, the events that they feel is, is most that is going to capture the biggest audience or, or the biggest market share, and, and it's no different. So, you know, it. it Sports media almost reminds me uh, of that, like that adolescent high school girl that is just like all about the drama and she's bickering and talking to everybody. So even if sports media is beating what it feels like a dead horse and the repeat, the, the stories come up and up again, it is a calculated decision by sports media to play that because it's a, it's a financial decision to try to get the most uh, of your attention. And in over the years, it feels like the social, the sports media culture has taken a shift towards culture awareness and the political aspect. And a lot of it, I think has to kind of float back to social media and the topic of our first episode, right? We, as a whole, Social media is a very new concept for this culture and the society. It has really, it has only really been around for about 10, 11, 12 years now. Like, it re- and it really hasn't got a firm grasp on us, on us until I would have to say 2008, 2009. So, so social media, ha- but social media has provided a platform where everybody has a voice or an opinion or they have judgments, right? And it's just, part of me just feels like we don't know how to be responsible with social media right now, right? I, we've, we've become a culture that is very self-absorbed, and, and, and a lot of it is accelerated through the technology over, over the last 10 years. But at, at a whole, this is a very new concept to, I guess, the human race, but, you know, if we just spoke about our culture in general. But what we're seeing, or, or kind of what culture is, is that now that we have opinions and we have an outlet to, to voice our concerns or opinions or whatnot, it feels like we're getting the snowball effect where everybody thinks they're always right about culture and, and, and politics and things of that nature. And at the same time, there's a growing need and a growing outlet to always be discussing this. I feel more so now than ever, we are always talking and thinking politics. And, and I don't want to get too involved with what's going kind of outside the sports bubble, but a lot does, a lot of, you know, most recent Charlottesville, but, you know, over the last two to five years, we're seeing a lot of, of these things that are happening in society and outside of, the white lines and, and the arenas kind of affect what's happening and how we talk about sports and what we talk about sports. So, you know, we all, we're all engaging in this conversation now. This was probably before, if you wanted to talk politics, you didn't, you didn't have a text message. You didn't have Facebook. Usually you were sitting down with a person face to face and talking about shit. And usually there was a very good case if you were talking face-to-face to somebody that you actually knew them and that your opinions, like whatever you said in that bubble and that, that social sphere, what, you, would not, you would not be judged directly on those opinions because the person usually would know you as a whole individual and would understand that, yes, they might not agree with where you're standing, but, you know, they know you as a person. You have watched their kids before or something like that. And you have a comfortable relationship and that you can have a respectful discussion and, and maybe you can get some common ground. But I, with, with social media here, what we're seeing is that, you know, I have, you know, I don't know how many friends. I, I deleted my Facebook 
right out of college because there was some shit on there that I just like, I want to get rid of. And then I, I came single and then I got back to Facebook and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, but I got, let's say I got 700 friends. You know, I, I can't really tell you out of the 700 how many I actually speak with and, and know on a personal level. But, and I doubt I'm the only one. I, I mean, we all have these huge Facebook spheres and Facebook networks. But how, how many do you actually talk on a personal level and the fact that you can post shit on there and that people that don't really know you can read what you said and now they're making judgments on you or they disagree with you and they're reposting. Anyway, it's a snowball effect. We're all going down, down a hill and the snowball is getting larger and larger and larger and larger and larger. And it, sports media is no different, right? So back back when Dan Patrick and, and, and um, all the, the old school, the old school sports center where it's highlight after highlight after highlight that has gone away because now the culture and, and now, now the consumer is demanding more of a political and cultural take on everything rather than just the highlights. You know, you still have a lot of old school people that just want the highlights, but you know, at the end, that niche market is not as big as the overwhelming market that just wants you, that wants to understand everything, right? That wants to, wants to understand, you know, wants to get views on, on more of the social political aspects of professional sports rather than just the highlights. So it, we're seeing, we're seeing a huge shift right now. And again, to relate it back to the ESPN cuts, we, we, we we saw we were really seeing the shift take hold, you know. So again, ESPN had two directions, and they they took this direction of uh, of more of a social awareness, more of a, a a cultural cultural niche rather than just have an overall sports analyst kind of niche that they have. And with that being said. You know, we have to think that majority of our, our professional athletes now are ranging in this 30 to 20 to 35-year-old range. So they're with this millennial group that has kind of grown up with social media. They, they're used to talking about this or putting it out on, online for people to read. Like, you would never see – you would never see Michael Jordan really comment about any of this shit before. Like, and when I say shit, I mean just like anything outside – of basketball, right? About politics or culture. Things, I just say shit because it, it's just easy to kind of put everything into that bucket. But, you know, a lot of the old school athletes never, never, never touched on this. They never wanted to touch on this. They, they never wanted to kind of get labeled or kind of scare off their fan bases or whatnot. But I, I feel with this millennial group out there, they're more they're more likely to to voice their opinions. And when a sports athlete voices their opinions, of course, sports media needs to cover it. And again, this snowball is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, you know, the more, the more comfortable these athletes are, the stronger their opinions they get, you know, and the generations to come are, are growing up in this culture that that is used used to being always surrounded by politics, and I feel like what that is one of the reasons why sports sports media has gravitated to trying to capture this culture and pol- politics type of side of sports. So, you know, I, I didn't plan on spending about thirty five minutes on, on that that side of things, but I I think that that understanding or, or having that context really is a good basis to kind of lead us in to the, the Kaepernick type of situations. But uh, before, before I get into that, um, there, there's a, there's a snippet from LaDainian Tomlinson's hall of fame that, that I think was worth listening to. If you haven't listened to in total, it's about like 25, 25 to 30 minutes. It's absolutely great. But, I think Tomlinson really captures the last the last three minutes of discussions up pretty well, and and will allow to a nice little segue here moving forward uh, with this talk. So here it is. 
I'm a mixed race and I represent America. My story is America's story. All our ancestors, unless we're American Indian, came from another country, another culture. Football is a microcosm of America. All races, religions, and creeds living, playing, competing side by side. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's pretty good stuff. Um, and and kind of what, what, what I'm reminded a lot with these speeches, speeches is that for me, and, and I think for majority of the country, sports was always something that we could gravitate and unite over. Like, I, I remember, I remember after 9-11, uh, the, the Mets game, that the first, the first baseball game in New York City after this attack. And that was probably one, one of the most emotional games in probably the history of the United States. And it was really moving in the Piazza home run. I mean, it was just, like, it, it, was, it was something special. Um, and I, I think sports have united this country in many ways through all the adversities and all the struggles that that we have faced. But you know, Thomason is correct that you know sports have always been a microcosm in, uh, uh, of society in general. You know, it's you know especially in the NFL, you know they have. I don't know how to put this where I don't sound like a total douchebag, but like it's one of the only professional sports that you have a, a great mix of superstars of different ethnicities, especially white and black. I mean, you have white and black athletes that are superstars in, in the, the NFL and you have an abundance of them and, and they, they capture all corners of, of the country. And, you know, you know, Everybody's working together to accomplish the same goal to win the championship. You know, I played college football and, you know, it, when you play football, you don't have the luxury of judging somebody by the color. You have, you don't, you only, uh, you judge the person by, are they, are they doing things for the team or are, are they, are they putting the time that everybody else is are, are, are they a good person or are they trying to be a good teammate, right? And, and you quickly realize, especially in a college football locker room, that you can be a scumbag, white or black. You can be a good person, white or black. You know, you can be a good player, white or black. It, it doesn't – that type of shit doesn't matter. The, the, the color of your skin doesn't really matter when you're in a locker room because at the end of the day, you're all for the same goal, that, that you learn how to judge people based on the right things to judge people and that the irrelevant things such as color or whatnot are, are, are non-existent because you're all, you're all going through two a days together. You're all, you're all going through the same bullshit day in and day out. And at the end of the day, you gravitate towards the people that are with you and that are helping you along and, and you exile those that don't. And I, I can tell you personally, I've seen a lot of, I've seen, I have a lot of good people. I've met a lot of good people that are both white and black. And I know a lot of dickheads and douchebags and people I'll never be friends with outside the locker room that are both white and black as well. So when it comes to football being a microcosm of the American way, yeah, like I, I totally agree with Tomlinson in the way he's saying that, but it, it, it kind of adds into this cap room neck thing at a whole new level. Right. So now we have, we have media and, we have media the way it is, where it's now it has it's focusing on a culture and a, a political aspect to you. We have we have now, you know, now with the Kaepernick thing, when he took me, it was like it was almost the perfect storm of of everything coming together and just exploding the way they did, right? So, not only Kaepernick black, but he's a quarterback, which is your most recognizable position in the sport of football for one of the most well-known brands across the nation and the 49ers, right? With, uh, with the most dominant population, which is the most dominant league in all of the nation. So everybody knows football, right? So when he took a knee, it reached corners uh, uh, of the country 
that that we cannot anticipate. And with that being said, we have we have now a social media aspect to our culture and society. Now everybody and their fucking mother has an opinion on it, and it just it just explodes. So then the sports media is now always talking about it because we as consumers are always talking about it, and there are. It's just not one side or two sides. I feel with with the Kaepernick situation that that opinions and sides they're 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 it's an eight sided dice. It's a sixteen sided dice. Like you can ask you can ask twenty individuals and they'll have twenty different takes on the whole Kaepernick situation. And it became a transcendent topic and a topic in which everybody started to talk about. And look, we can make a two a four and eight episode or eight hour episode alone just on this topic. But I think it's within the Kaepernick and what was going outside the lines at that time. And it's still going on today. It was such a polarizing topic that it it created this national wave uh, of media and, and attention that I, I think is one piece of the pie of why Kaepernick is no longer signed here today. I, I, I you know, if you listen to Shameless Plugin number two, Shameless Plugin number two, um, if you listen to me and Kyle debate this on Norwegian Sportscast this Sunday, you know, him and I had very different takes on this. And at the end of the day, I think we're both wrong and we're both right at the same time. Like, I know Pete Carroll came out and said, which whenever Pete Carroll talks, you almost have to scratch your head and understand like what the, like what the fuck is he saying? But he made it and he made a comment like that where you had to scratch your head for a second. And then you kind of thought it, but he, he simply stated that Kaepernick is more built for a starting role than he is a backup role. And, and your first reaction is like, okay, so just have him as a backup. And now you have two starters, right? Like that, that's easy, but in the article that I read that I alluded to is that sometimes you want your backup to be a developmental guy. You, you, you need, you need them to have certain skill sets and, and being, you know, sometimes a, a starting quarterback is not always meant for your backup role. And, and that was kind of alluding to, and yeah, if you feel that is a lazy take, that's more than welcome your opinion, but it's just not, I don't think it's just the kneeling thing. And I just don't think that Kaepernick is, you know, a tier three quarterback. You know, if, if there's five tiers of quarterback, Kaepernick is probably low tier three, early tier four. He's still probably better than some starters. But then again, what I talked about with Kyle is that, you know, the Kaepernick's situation and what he did and look at, I am, I am a libertarian. I, I believe in the individual right through and through. It was it was totally Kaepernick's right to do Neil and do with that. And but he, he needed to understand that personally for me, that business is always business. And I was always taught at a young age you don't talk talk religion or politics a lot with with coworkers and associates. Right? You need to make sure the people know you before you kind of get involved with that because we are we're easily to judge here but when 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 Kaepernick took that knee on business ground then then now we're not just evaluating Kaepernick at the a a business level or you know a professional football level we also have to add into those political the political views and unfortunately I think Kaepernick you know, it, Hank Aaron came out and said that Kaepernick is getting a bad, a bad shake out of it. And, and I, I don't necessarily disagree, but it, it was just a perfect storm for absolute chaos and absolute, like, for this to be a polarizing topic, a very transcending topic in America, right? So... You know, and this is based on, and I'm. This is based on that. I we don't know necessarily what Kaepernick 
is demanding behind closed doors. And, and we really don't know what the discussions are with some of these professional football teams. So I, and at the same time, like, I, I understand that it looks like 32 teams are black, blackballing and blackmailing Kaepernick. And, and I completely understand it if you make that argument. But for me, I, I, I personally believe that these are just 32 professional organizations making 32 personal business decisions for themselves. You know, at the end of the day, these owners, religion is green. That's all. They, they, as long as the Benjamins keep on coming in, they're, they're happy, right? And if Kaepernick, if they really felt so strongly that Kaepernick can make, uh, come in and have more Benjamins get flown at them than not, then he would be on a team right now. But the problem is Kaepernick is on the fringe of being a starting quarterback, yet he has this huge, perfect storm behind him that has brought so much attention and and probably unwanted attention at the same part. Not Not in his calls and what he stands for, but just on the professional football aspect of it, like, you know, no, no team wants to bring in that distraction. No team wants to bring in that, that media distraction. It, it's just, there's not a team in the world does, you know, that's, that's one reason why media has killed Tebow. Um, and, and there, there are others along the way that, you know, that very polarizing and very, uh, I'm going to say media savvy, but, you know, I, I, just for a lack of a better term, individuals will always have a harder time finding a professional football organization because they just bring unwanted attention to the program, especially when they're trying to, especially since the financial stakes are so large, let's be honest, like it, it's a multi-billion dollar corporation. So it, that that isn't the one and only thing that that is holding Kaepernick bad, but we need to understand the media's role in kind of the Kaepernick situation and try to get a, a concept of why why that is playing into him not having a job as well. So I think I'm going to try to wrap it up here. I, I, I yeah, I, I'm good with that. So just to kind of, you know, to abstract this or kind of, you know, a conclusion page of this essay. Over the years, social media has made, has made our culture more, more conducive to having opinions and judgments and, you know, quote unquote, hot takes, right? However, I, I believe the side effect of this is that we've also become become a culture that is less likely to have discussions. You're right. We, you know, we, we, we right now try to make culture and, and situations such a black and white, white situation when in all honesty, there's a lot of gray in our culture. We're a complex culture with complex solutions or, you know, complex problems that will have to, that aren't able to be fixed by just simple solutions. And, but as we've seen this kind of snowball roll down the hill, the more polarizing a topic is, the more transcendent uh, an individual is, the more we are pushed to one extreme or the other, and we're more likely to voice our opinions on an individual topic. It can be about Kaepernick's situation. It could be sports decisions in general. It can be about our local politics or our national politics. Social media and, and accessibility to voice opinion has kind of created the snowball effect that, that I'm feeling that the views that we're getting now are getting forced to extremes. And what sports media is now doing is trying to capture on this because they're struggling on views because the market has become more segmented, because there, there are so many different more avenues an individual and consumer to take to get the same information that 
your national sports media now are, are struggling to find ways, and it's almost doubling down on its culture and political aspect uh, of, of sports. So that's why you will see highlights on ESPN, but it's not like it used to be. That's why they beat the same dead horse. That's why they review the same topics. That's why they will talk about social things, because at the end of the day, their goal is to get your attention and have your audience. And right now, through culture as general, ESPN is making financial decisions that it needs to play more into the political and culture aspect to it to have you watch. All right? And and I I believe this is going to be a snowball that continues to go downhill. But, you know, it's it's everybody's fault and it's nobody's fault. It's just... it's how we as a society, as as we as society are developing, you know, morally and, and how we're developing culturally. And there's a lot of things that are playing into this bubble. But at the end of the day, I don't think these major media people have any idea what to do to capture your audience. And uh, unfortunately, like like the coach mentioned, and to at the beginning of uh, our Sunday episode, the, there's a lot of shit out there that 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 is that we're looking to consume and whatnot, or they want us to consume. And I think just uh, the local's consumer isn't buying it anymore like they used to. And and I, unfortunately, I think this is this is something that's just going to continue to trend. And maybe in three or six months here, I'll have a new update and. We'll continue this discussion. So without further ado, I'm going to shut it down here. Thanks for listening here. Big Cinnamons, Sports Media Episode 3. Catch the Nor'easter Sportscast, Episode 2 of Season 2, this Sunday, 8 to 10. will be myself, Kyle, the coach, Anderson. We might get a few callers and special guests. Um, and with that being said, stay classy, appreciate y'all, appreciate everybody here for listening and you have a great night. Careful, you idiot. I said across her nose, not up it. Sorry, sir. Doing my best. Who made that man a gunner? I did, sir. He's my cousin. Who is he? He's an asshole, sir. I know that. What's his name? That is his name, sir. Asshole. Major Asshole. And his cousin? He's an asshole, too, sir. Gunner's mate, first class, Philip Asshole. How many assholes we got on this ship, anyhow? Yo! I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Keep firing, assholes! <laughs>